Okay, good morning. Pesachim, Daf Zayin, a jam-packed uh, Daf today, a lot of important topics. We're going to start off talking about why we do bitul uh, at night, the night before, and not later on, like in the, in the next morning. Uh, then we're going to talk about an interesting case of moldy bread that you find, and you're not sure what it is. And then we'll, as uh, a key suya that applies to so many things, the beracha wording and the fact that we have to say the beracha before we do a mitzvah, and sometimes we use a verb and sometimes a, a, a noun form. And then finally, why do we need to use a lamp um, in order to do bidikat hametz? Okay, so we'll jump right in. We, um, uh, 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 last time we, were, we saw the number of statements by uh, Rav Yudan in the name of Rav. And the last one was that you have to nullify hametz. You have to, uh, even though you checked your house um, and you made sure there's none, you have to say any hametz that's left, I don't care about, it's negligible to me. And we wondered, why do you need to do that? And we saw the answer is because may, those crumbs don't matter, but maybe you'll find a little bit of a loaf, a cookie, and you'll think about um, wanting to eat it uh, on Pesach itself. Uh, so we wondered, why not do bitul on Pesach? The second you find it, say, I don't care about this. The problem there is that since it has no value because I'm not allowed to own it, so I can't nullify something uh, that has no value in the first place. Therefore, I must uh, do bitul while the chametz is still permitted. And so therefore, it's something that has value. And I can say, I, I am declaring it not valuable to me. Okay, good. So that's why we do it before the prohibition begins. But now we ask another question. Why not say bitul uh, in the fourth or fifth hour uh, during the day? In other words, uh, just a little bit, a little while before the prohibition of chametz kicks in. We answer, this is because it's not connected to anything. Since it's not the exact time when the prohibition will kick in, it's also not the time that I did bi'ur, meaning bidikat chames the night before. Therefore, I'm going to forget. If I do it at night, this is what we do. Uh, immediately after we do bidikat chames, we collect all 10 pieces, however many you find, and then you say it right, right then and there. So the rabbis were very good at, uh, at psychology. You know, if you, if you want to remember to do something tomorrow, says, yeah, I'll send that email tomorrow. Then for sure you're going to forget. But if you say, you know what, tomorrow while I'm drinking my coffee, I'm going to send the email. Then you're much more likely, if you connect it to something that you are definitely going to do, you're more likely to remember that item. Uh, and so therefore, uh, be, uh, the the tool should be connected to another ritual that we are doing. And that's why it's best to do it at night together with the with chametz, and not just in the fourth hour or fifth hour. All right, good. But based on that, why not nullify it in the sixth hour? In other words, uh, between 11 and 12 a.m., uh, the prohibition kicks in at noon. So everybody's aware of that. Oh, it's going to be prohibited now. So do be told during that time. We said, no, that's not good either. Although Midoraita, the prohibition of uh, Hametz starts at noon, the rabbis added one hour before from 11 a.m. Uh, on, not on a, on, a, on a typical day. Of course, Shaud Zemanion. 
And so therefore, since you have an Isur de Rabbanan on it, even that prohibition makes it worthless. And so again, we can't do bitul on something that has no value. So I have to do bitul before 11 a.m. And there's no action happening at that time. And that's why the nighttime is better than the daytime to say the bitul. Of course, we today have a double custom. We say bitul at night um, for anything that we haven't seen. And then during the day, after we burn or destroy the chametz that we have, then we say bitul again. So we have a backup. Um, but uh, certainly we should say the night before, just in case we might forget something uh, the next day. Okay. We're proving from here that Hamet uh, from during the sixth hour from 11 to 12, from 11 till noon has no monetary value. How do we prove that? Well, if I would take some chametz and give it to a woman and say, with this chametz, uh, then the marriage would not be good. The kiddushin would not be good because in order to do kiddushin, you have to give something of value and chametz during that time, even though it's only a sur midra banan, has no value and therefore um, the kiddushin is not good at all. This is very interesting because midoraita, it's fine, it's perfectly per permitted. So you might think midoraita, the marriage would be would be okay. And uh, But yet the rabbis have the power to say, since we declare this to be chametz and chametz prohibited and therefore value valueless, therefore even midrabanan and midoraita level, the kiddushin is, is uh, not valid. Okay, the example they bring of what kind of chametz is this kurdanaita. This is some, some kind of a, a Kurdish, uh, grain that is very, uh, the, the kernel is very hard. And so in order to help it ripen, they would uh, put, put water around it. And so it would become, uh, it could become hametz um, and then, then they would dry it out. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, in, the, in olden days, as David was asking yesterday, there's very few things that would last that would be hametz. If you bake bread, it gets moldy uh, soon. They didn't have like pasta and things like that. Um, but this is something that is is wheat, and they would put they would uh, help it ripen with some water, so it actually could become chametz, and then they'd store it away after it dried. So um, even this, which is like the most minimal uh, possibility of chametz, even this is considered worthless. It's chametz enough, even though it's only before uh, before noon, uh, and so therefore we see that. Uh, there is no value to it after 11 a.m. And therefore, you can't do bitul at that time. You have to do bitul beforehand. Okay, good. Um, now, you just told me that on Pesach itself, when Hametz is prohibited, I cannot nullify it. Is that true? Look at this case. Let's say on Shabbat or on Yom Tov, uh, Yom Tov would be on Pesach itself. You're sitting in the Bet Midrash and you're, uh, you're right and you're studying, listening to the Shi'ur, and all of a sudden, I guess your mind is wandering a little, and you remember, I have some Hametz at home. Oh no, I have to get rid of it. What should I do? And it's, it's very difficult. You got to go and you got to leave. You got to get up in the middle of the Shi'ur and go. And so, what, what should you do instead? Just think about it. I have Hametz I have in my house, not mine. I don't care about it. And that's sufficient. Um, okay. Some people learn from here the fact that you can do it in your mind. You don't have to say it. 
uh, it's more than just have care. Have care means if I uh, take some items with my phone, have care. Anyone, it's not mine, anyone can have it. But they usually have to say something in order to do that. Here, you could do it in your mind. It's not simply that you're giving it away, but you're completely nullifying it. It's negligible to you. Um, okay, so look at that. This is on Pesach, right? Uh, because it says Yom Tov, and yet you can nullify it. So, right, this is uh, goes against the principle we just said that you can't cannot nullify chametz on Yom Tov. So we say Bishlam Shabbat Mashkachata. I understand the case of Shabbat could be Shabbat that's before Pesach. Kegon shechalar ba'asa liot b'Shabbat. Ela, I think we have that this year. Ela Yom Tov batad isurahu, but Yom Tov is Pesach itself. And chametz is prohibited, and yet it says you can do bitul. So we have a nice answer. He doesn't actually have chametz at home yet. What happened is he made, there was some dough. He made some dough. Now, um, technically, you can make masa on Pesach. Uh, most people don't want to do this today nowadays because uh, if you leave a little over, uh, it's a problem. But uh, actually, even even today, people who are, are very machmir, they like to make a masa on Erev Pesach, even you know right right before. Uh, and so so you, you, you can do it. Um, and uh, in those days, they didn't you know they couldn't keep uh, food so long. So they would bake masa even on Yom Tov. You can bake masa. So they have dough and he puts some dough there and uh, he's in the middle for some reason he goes to the yeshiva in the yeshiva he remembers i have dough sitting on my counter so far the dough is not chametz right it's just dough dough by itself is okay before 18 minutes but now he remembers and the problem is he's not going to be able to get home in time to uh, destroy that dough or to bake it um and it's going to become chametz so what does he do he says that dough that's in my house I don't care about it. It's not mine. It's negligible. So therefore, it's okay because it is not actually chametz right now. The dough is valuable, um, so he can do bitul before it becomes chametz, and that's the case that it's talking about. And it seems that this is in fact what the case is because it mentions he's in the bet midrash. The point is he can't get home in time to do it. Um, if it was actual chametz, some cookies sitting on the counter, and what's the difference if he's in Ben Bidrash or at home? He wouldn't be able to uh, uh, to do anything better anyway. Um, okay, good. So that we so we finished that case, um, and uh, we, we saw the, the principle. Um, why do we nullify at night, right? So basically these two principles, because you cannot do bitul when the chametz is prohibited, so it has to be before, and you want to connect it with another act, so we connect it with the bedikat chametz, and uh, that way we'll make sure to remember. All right, now the case of uh, moldy bread. We're gonna talk about, this, this is a safek. We're not sure what it is. And what principle should we use when we're not sure what the status of something is? Should we follow the majority? The last time we used it, we're gonna end up saying it's uh, the specific circumstances of it. Let's see the case. So Rav, the first generation of Morav says that bread that became moldy, um, if there is mostly matzah, let's say it's in a box with a lot of different matzot, if it's mostly matzah, and then I find one moldy item, um, it's permitted, 
Okay, now we would be able to tell the difference between masa and hames because our hames looks like a, you know a hala or a roll, and our masa looks like crackers. But of course, in those days, and even in Middle Eastern countries today, uh, they look pretty much the same. They didn't have halot; they had pita bread or lafa bread um, all year round, and their masa actually looked the same, like the soft masa. So if you find something, especially if it's a little bit moldy, uh, it would be hard to tell which one it was. And so he says, if you look in the box and you see the majority of it is masa, you can assume that this thing, item you found is also masa. Of course, we're talking about a case that's not so moldy that it's completely unedible even to an animal because then it would not be food. And we're talking about it's a little bit moldy and I don't know, maybe half of it's moldy, you'll eat, you, know, you can eat that, the other half, or maybe you'll feed it to the animal. And so uh, you still want to use it. They, uh, food was very valuable in those days. So now we're wondering, what is the case? If you remember that this was hames, so what's the difference if there's mostly matzah in the box? I know this is hametz, so for sure it's not going to be allowed. That's I'm not sure. I don't remember putting it in here. I don't remember when it was put. I don't remember the status. So then you follow the majority. But we ask about that too. Why are you applying the principle of majority? Follow, you should follow the principle of the last things that you put in it. It's like, you know, if you lose your keys, uh, should you look in the place where you usually put the keys or where's the last place that you put them? In this case, there's a change in status. All year long, you have a bread box, you're putting uh, bread in it. But now, Pesach, you're putting masa in it. So let's look, did you change over and start using it for masa? What's the last, uh, when, well, what was the last usage? And that would be a better way to tell. Uh, here's a proof that the last usage is the best way to tell. Milotenan, we have a Mishnah Masechet Maaser Sheni. Maaser Sheni means a tenth of my produce I have to bring to Jerusalem and eat in Jerusalem. Together with my friends, I invite everybody around. Um, if I live far away and I redeem it for money, I have to add 25%, I take that money to Jerusalem and spend it on food. So here's the case. What if I, I'm in Jerusalem anytime during the year, but especially during the holidays when most people would come, and I pick up a coin. Um, so there's no sign on it. I don't have to return it. So find his keepers. Okay, good. But the question is, what is the status of that coin? If it's regular money, I can pocket it and take it home, use it to, for whatever I want. But if it's any money, if it's money that someone else already brought to Jerusalem in order to buy food in Jerusalem, then it's, it has holiness. And therefore, I have to also use it to buy food in Jerusalem. So I can't tell. It doesn't say on it. There's no, there's no it's not in an envelope or anything. So what do I do? Here's the Mishnah's guidelines. If I find the money near the, near the butcher, then for sure it's Maasesheni all year round because most of the animals that are sold in Jerusalem are Maasesheni money. People come bringing like, you know, a, a tenth of their entire year's salary and they're going to use it within a few days. So they want to buy a nice animal, get some lamb chops out of it. So therefore, in the butcher's uh, store, we assume that everything is ma'asesheni money. If I go up to Harabayit and I'm visiting, I'm walking around the, uh, the, the, the plaza and the, the Bet HaMikdash, then it's chulin because people already spent their money. There's no, they're not buying any food up there. 
and the rest of Jerusalem, if it's during one of the holidays, and therefore most a lot of people are coming in. And so in the streets of Jerusalem, in the market, general marketplaces, most of the money is coming from people that are bringing their Maaser Shani. I have to assume it's Maaser Shani. But during the rest of the year, then I can assume that it's regular, it's Chulin money, and I can just I can take it home, I can spend whatever, whatever on whatever I want. Okay, now why is that the case of the Mishnah? As has this relate to the last thing? Amar Rav Shemaya Barzera, he's a fifth generation Amora. The marketplaces in the in the general city of Jerusalem, they get swept every day. Every day after business, they sweep everything. Therefore, if I'm there on the holiday and I find a coin, I cannot assume that it's a coin that someone forgot a month ago or six months ago. I have to assume that it's something, it's a coin that someone lost today. And since it's the holiday time, must be ma'aseh sheni money. And so you see that here, you follow the last usage because there's a lot of turnover here. They clean it every day. So too, in my bread basket, there's a lot of turnover. And just like, you know, milk in the fridge, you drink the one with the earliest expiration date first, right? Because you don't want, you don't want to keep the fresh one later. So generally, there's a lot of a turnover. And so let's see, how have I used it last? If I've been using it for masa, then it should be fine. Because the majority doesn't matter. It's the latest usage that matters. So that's the question. Why do we, why, Rav, Rav, why did you say majority? Why not latest usage? The answer is, No, here, you can't follow that, that assumption because it's moldy. If it's moldy, that means for sure it was in there for a long time, right? This is the milk that was all the way in the back. No one saw it, right? And, uh, and you, you, you smell it. It smells bad. Obviously, you know, this is bad. This is bad. So if you take out this piece of, uh, of lafa bread, and this moldy is probably not from the most recent time you put it in there. It's probably old, and the older it is, therefore, it sounds like it should be hames. Um, okay, so that seems to fit. Now, question. Fine, you explained why I don't follow the latest usage. Well, why should I follow the majority? Since it's moldy, I shouldn't follow the majority. I should assume it's from a long time ago, and therefore, it's probably chametz. So that doesn't work either. Amar Rabbah, Rabbah, by the way, is a third generation Amora. You see, he actually lives before the Bizera. So he couldn't, he couldn't possibly be reacting to the Bizera, um, even though it looks like that in the flow of the Gemara. Rather, he's going all the way back on the statement of the original statement of Rav and explaining it and saying he had must have had the same question why should you follow the majority of the items and you know just an old old, old piece of bread in there so he reinterprets it's not there's a majority is not masa the word rabu is not going on that it's the many days since uh the since the time of masa in other words into pesach um, I found this moldy bread several days at the uh, later at the end of the holiday. What's the point? Since I found it several days um, after the beginning uh, of when I have to eat pasta, that's why it's moldy, right? I can assume that's moldy. It, if I find it on the first day of Pesach, pretty moldy, must be chametz. If I find it on the sixth day of Pesach, right, 
and it had time to get moldy. And so therefore I can assume that it is matzah because I would have been careful to get rid of all the chametz beforehand. Um, okay, so that's what it's talking about. It's, it depends when you find it. Okay, if so, obviously, obviously if I find something well into, well into Pesach and it's moldy, I can assume it's okay. Maybe it's very moldy, you know, more, more than six days uh, moldiness. So since it's very moldy, I might have thought um, that this shows it must be chametz because it comes from way before, many days before. And therefore, Rav's Chidush was to teach me that since I put new warm loaves into the bread basket every day, and that warmth, that moisture, will cause the ones that are already in there to be moist and therefore become more moldy. And so since I can explain the uh, high level of moldiness because of the way I use it and the time that I found it, therefore, Rav teaches, I can assume that it's okay and um, I can I, I assume it's it's matzah and not chametz, and then that way I can eat it. Okay, good. So that explains that I've statement. Uh, while we're on this topic, just two more paragraphs. In general, you said that you should follow the last way it was used. Is that true always? I have a box that I, I keep coins in. Sometimes I use it for regular coins. Sometimes I use it for Maaser Sheni coins. And now I found the box and I don't remember are the coins in it, you know, regular coins, or are they sacred coins and I have to use that money to go to Jerusalem? Um, uh, so the answer is you follow the majority. When, how do you usually use it? Oh, one time I used it for this way, most of the time I use it for that, for that. So you see you follow majority usage. And now we have a question. Am I? We have another principle that use it on the last thing it was, the last way it was used, right? Why don't you say, oh yeah, the last time I used it, it was from Asya Shani. Why don't you go by the last time? Who, why, why is the majority any better? It's two competing principles here. This is no, I know that I've, sometimes I use it for this, sometimes I use it for that. I don't remember what the last usage was, and that's why I follow the majority. But if in fact you do remember the last usage, then you would follow the last usage. That's the second answer. Or it could be in the box, I had two piles, a pile of cholin, a pile of maser sheni. And the problem is it got, it got mixed up. And now I don't know which pile is which. And so that's the, that's the case where I would, that's why I should follow the majority. He says, no, it's a different thing. That, um, I, I found the coin in a hole in the bottom of the box. It was stuck there. And so it's not necessarily from the current usage. Maybe it was stuck there from a previous usage. And that's why I follow the majority in this case. But otherwise you're right. I would follow the latest usage. Okay, good. So that concludes that topic. And since we're talking about uh, um, before and after, now this is a very important sugya that has a lot of practical effect, which is what is the baracha that we say on bedikat chametz and how, and how should we say it? And we're gonna compare this wording to, uh, well, seven cases altogether 
uh, we, that we're going to have of different mitzvot and the type of beracha that we make. Um, so let's see what we do and why we do it. When you do Bidikat Chametz, you have to say Baracha first. Um, it's interesting we say Baracha because this is not a Deoraita law, um, but in the way it is uh, the beginning of a Deoraita law. The Torah says to destroy the Chametz. So it's really the burning or however you destroy it, that is the Mitzvah Deoraita. Uh, the, the looking around the house with a, with a candle, that itself is not Deoraita. But, uh, but, but rather midirabanan. Yet we say beracha on it. Beracha that we say is not al bedikat chametz, but rather al biur chametz, because uh, in order to have something to burn, you have to find something first. So it's really the beginning of the process of the deoraita law. Okay, so that's why we say beracha on bedikat chametz, and that's why the beracha is regarding the biur, regarding the burning of it. And now, how do you say the beracha? Two opinions. Daf papi. Amar Mishmederava Lebarel Hames. Daf Papa Amar Mishmederava Al Biur Hames. Okay, they're both quoting their teacher Rava, but it's a little confusing. One's Rav Papi, one's Rav Papa. They're both uh, fifth generation students of Rava. Anyway, let's refer to them by their uh, by their um, by their uh, usage. So the first one says Leva Ed Hames. You commanded us to destroy chametz. So he's using a verb, an infinitive verb. The papa, however, says, use a noun form regarding the ur chametz, regarding the, the destruction of the chametz. Um, okay, so what's better, the verbal form or the noun form? Uh, now we have a principle that all berachot have to be over le'asiyatan, which means you have to say the beracha first before you do the mitzvah. And that's generally what we do. If you have uh, wearing a, 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 a talit, if you hold the talit and you say of uh, the beracha and then you wrap it. Um, that's true for most things. So to hear, you have to say it before and therefore the language should be, I am uh, going to do this item. So everybody agrees that the verbal form, right? Commanded us, to destroy chametz is something I'm about to do, right? I'm about to do this verb. Um, so everyone said, so that's the preferable to say the verbal form. Everyone would agree with that. And that's the papi's uh, explanation. The machloket, the controversy here is regarding the noun form, al biur. Does al biur, regarding the destruction of chametz, does that mean um, the, something I did already, right? It sound, that sounds like, according to the papi, it sounds like something you did in the past. So it's not a preferable formulation. Whereas the papa says, that's also talking about the future regarding the removal of chametz, which I'm about to do. Um, and so therefore he says, that, that, that's totally fine. Um, okay, so you see the papa, the second opinion says you can use the verb form or the noun form. They both have to do with the future, so it's fine. The papi says, use the verbal form. So he's more limited. Now we're going to ask a, ser a series of questions on Daf Papi on that first opinion, because sometimes we use the verbal form, like lehitatef pisisit, but sometimes we use the noun form. So we're going to ask him anytime we use the noun form, hey, that Daf Papi, what are you going to do with that? Because you said the noun form has to do with the past. It always has to. We always do the Adam in the future, the action in the future. So first question: al so why do we say here the noun form, Rav Papi, if you said the noun form is not good? 
Hatam hechi nema, nema lamul. So what else could you say? How could you say a, a verbal form? Lamul etaben. You commanded us to perform brit milah, circumcision on the child. No, you cannot do that. That formulation is not sufficient because not always does the father do it, right? Um, actually, usually we appoint uh, a mohel to do it for us. And therefore you need a more general formulation. You commanded, God did not command each and every person to perform milah. What if I don't have a son? What if I don't know how to do it? Right? Rather, we have a general, a general commandment to do brit milah. And sometimes um, someone else might be doing it on uh, a, a different person's child. So therefore, you need to do the more general formulation. Okay, good. So that explains uh, why. Um, in other words, Rapapi would say here, you're right. In general, I like the verbal form. But if it doesn't apply, we can't always do it. So then he'll agree, fine, do the, do the noun form. Now, according to this, what if the father of the, of the boy actually does the Brit Milah himself, right? You said the only problem is he's not doing it on his own child. So he can't, he didn't command, he didn't command the Mohel to do Brit Milah on everybody. It's only because the father gives him permission to, but the commandment is on the father. So if the father is actually doing it himself, would he say, Lamul et Haben? And that Tamud says, yes, in fact, he would. Okay, so um, by the way, on this is uh, Yosef says the custom is not to do that. Even if the father uh, is a surgeon or is a mohel and doing it on his own son, he knows how to do it. He still says alhamila. However, um, I think is describing a general custom. When uh, happened here in our community, Morris Abraham just told me when his son, uh, who is a doctor, uh, was, did did on his son, they asked uh, Rabbi Aluf and uh, said that we, that we do, say, do say Lamul et Taben, and that's in fact uh, what he did. Um, so uh, anyway, around here in our community, we would say Lamul et Taben if the father is doing it. Okay, good. By the way, you don't have to be such an expert. You can get the Mohel to set it up for you. And uh, as long as you're not nervous, um, you can't really go wrong. But I, um, I, I can't speak too, too much because I didn't do it myself. Um, okay. So we solved that question. Next question. You see, we use the noun form. If, you, uh, if you're going to do shechita on an animal, you say regarding, you command us regarding slaughtering animals. So why do, why, how can we use the noun form? Why don't we say um, the verbal form? We can't say you commanded us lishchot because you don't have to uh, slaughter an animal. There's no specific mitzvah that you have to go slaughter an animal. If I'm vegetarian, I don't have to go slaughter an animal. Even if I, if I eat meat, um, if I get someone else, right? If I get shochet to do it. So I'm not commanded personally to do shechita. Okay, I did in fact learn in NYU uh, uh, chicken slaughtering. Um, we, we got as far as uh, sharpening the knife. I never actually slaughtered one. But one of, the, one of my friends did in the bio lab. Um, and then it ran around the bio lab, and uh, um, but he took it home for dinner. Um, okay, so uh, you know, so I don't have to, I, I don't have to do I don't have to go and learn shechita in order to do it. And therefore, you can't say you commanded me to slaughter. I did not command me to slaughter. You just commanded me regarding shechita. So you have to use the more general formulation, which is the noun. Um, so that's why even the papier would agree. Yeah, you're right. I like the verbal formulation, but it doesn't apply here. 
Well, is that true in all cases? Pesach bekadashim, if regarding Korban Pesach, Korban Pesach, I am, every single person is commanded, you have to bring Korban Pesach and you have to slaughter it. Um, or other Kodashim that I'm obligated to bring, I have to bring it. Um, and so therefore, have happened in that case, would you say Lishchot? He says, yes, you're right. And, and you would say Lishchot when you can. Okay, good. Meti is similar to Bimilaf, I'm doing it myself and I'm commanded to do it. Okay, Meti, next question. At the time that you uh, prepare the lulav, you say shechianu. We don't do this nowadays. Nowadays we say shechianu right before we do the mitzvah. But in those days, when you'd go uh, to, uh, you know, you'd go and, and buy the lulav, um, uh, go to Borough Park. I like to go to Borough Park right before, right, right before uh, Sukkot starts. You get the best deals. Um, so as you're buying it and you, as you're preparing it, and you say shechianu because you're preparing for the mitzvah. Mitzvah. Um, once you actually pick it up and take it for the mitzvah on on Sukkot, laset You take it in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Remember, remember this word laset. Uh, then you say al netilat lulav. We use the noun form. You've commanded us regarding the taking of lulav. So why? Why don't you say a verb form? Shanehatam bin tol et lulav. The problem with lulav is it's tricky. It's hard to do before the, it's hard to say the beracha before the action because just by picking it up, I already fulfilled the mitzvah. And therefore, I can't say lintol because that is only for the future. And in a lot of cases in lulav, I pick it up first and then I say the beracha. So I need the more general formulation that can refer to the past also. Okay, we try to get around this by uh, Ashkenazim will pick up the lulav and then the etrog they'll hold upside down and then only turn it around after the beracha. That way the beracha is before the action. Sfaradim generally will leave the etrog on the table and touch it because you're supposed to be touching the, the item that you're, the, that you're gonna do the mitzvah with and then you only pick it up, only pick up the etrog after you make the beracha. So you see it's uh, difficult to do and a lot of times you end up picking it up. And so therefore we have to use the more general formulation because sometimes you're, end up, you're going to end up saying the beracha after you actually picked it up. Okay, good. Now, according to this, see in this, in this Barai Tosefta that we quoted, we say, if I'm going, if I pick it up in order to, in order to, to fulfill the mitzvah, which sounds like I'm going to fulfill in the future, but you just said that we fulfill it first and then we say the beracha. So why does this use the word which sounds like the future? Yasabo mibayil, it should be, he already did it. You're right, it should say Yasabo. But the continuation of the Tosefta talks about the case of sitting in the sukkah. So since it wants to have a formula match, if you're sitting in the sukkah, it's actually easy to say the Baracha first, because you go in the sukkah and you say the Baracha, and then you sit down. And so it's the sitting down in the sukkah that is uh, the fulfillment um, and so it used, since it used the future uh, verb, it's really an infinitive, but they, they take infinitive as something that is good, is continuing, that you're gonna, that you're gonna do, about to do. And so therefore to make the tenses match, um, this is always good writing style to make sure your tenses match within the paragraph. The Katane Sefa, now I'll quote the Sefa, very interesting in those days, when they build the Sukkah, they would say Shechianu, even before Sukkah. And then, 
Right, so you go in in order to fulfill the mitzvah. You're going to fulfill the mitzvah. Okay, final answer. I know we had a long discussion now, but this is in fact what we say. We don't say live but rather um, so that uh, because we think that it is in fact talking about the future where you say it before and we're about to do the uh, going around and searching. Yeah, our custom today is to hide some matzah because we don't want to make a baracha In those days, this would be the cleaning of the house. They say the baracha, then you go around and look for the, look for everything in the house. Nowadays, we are, we're cleaning from 120 days before, and then there's no chametz left. Um, so we got to put chametz, plant some chametz uh, in order to uh, in order to be able to find it, so that we can fulfill this baracha. Be careful if you have little kids. This happened to me many times. My kids hid it, and then they couldn't remember where they put it. Um, okay. Okay, now we've been assuming this whole time that you say the beracha first and then you do the action. But how do we know that principle that you have to be over This principle goes back to the first generation, Amora, Shemuel. We always, all um, misvot, you bless on them, over. Lasiatan over means before their performance. How do we know that the word over means that? Over means to pass by. How do you mean that? Hey, that means to me, it means before. My mashmada hai over lishana de akdumehu, Amad of Nachman by Yisrak, da Amad Kera, Ayaros Achimas derechakikar ve abor et hakushi. There were two people running to tell David the bad news that, about his son, um, Avimelech. And so there was a kushi, there was kushi that was running, he was a fast runner, and Achimatz ran faster by avod, and he passed the kushi. In other words, he went in front of him. So therefore, the word over means to go before. Abayas is a different pasuk. Uh, this is from next week's parasha, when Esav is coming uh, to greet or, or, or fight with Yaakov. Yaakov splits his camp, and Yaakov goes in front of his wives and his children. So you see the word avar means in front of. Or pasuk that says their king went in front of them and God was in God was in front. Um, so talking about the coming of Mashiach and so Hashem being berosham is parallel to avaya avor. So therefore the word avar means to go in front of. All right, but now that we have that the source. Uh, two more cases of berachot. Be'rav Amri. This is not this is not about the formulation of the berachot, the beracha verb or noun, but whether we say before or after. We always say the beracha before, except for two cases. When someone goes into a mikveh, he should say the beracha after. I said he on purpose. And also regarding shofar, first blow the shofar and then. Uh, and then say the baracha after. Uh, let's analyze. Um, so why regarding mikveh? So what, what case, it depends what the case is talking about. Um, generally, a woman is going to a mikveh because of nida, says the baracha first. There's no problem for nida saying a baracha. She's praying all, all the time. And so they would, uh, a woman will say the baracha right before she immerses. However, a man could be talking about two cases. One, a convert. That actually could be a woman also. Before someone converts, they can't say the beracha. So what we do today is 
the convert will dunk one time and then now they're converted. They say the beracha, right? While they're in the water, they cover themselves and they say the beracha and then they dunk uh, twice more. So that they, uh, so in that case, you have to dunk before you say the beracha because they're not Jewish yet. The other case is when a man has a certain type of tumah, they had a custom back then when someone is a balkedi, they cannot pray, they cannot say a beracha. And therefore, um, he can't say the beracha before he goes to the mikveh. So he has to say, goes to, go, he has to dunk first, and then he can say the beracha afterwards. Okay, so that's why, that explains the case of tebilah. Ela shofar ma'itama, but shofar, what's the reason? Why don't you say the beracha before shofar? Maybe because shofar is hard to do. You never know if you're going to get the sound out. What if you say the beracha, and then you're, you're blowing, and the sound's not coming out well. And now you're going to say a beracha lebatala. So that's why blow first. After you know that you did it well, then you say the beracha. But, but if that's the case, then anything that's difficult to do, shechita, maybe the animal's going to run away, maybe it's going to not gonna be good. Okay, hope we don't make a mistake on that, right? But you never know, something can go wrong, and you and you didn't, and you won't be able to fulfill the mitzvah. So you're going to say in all those cases, that you should say the baracha after, we don't do that. modifies and says, you're right. The only exception is mikveh, but, uh, but you're right, shofar and everything else, we say the beracha beforehand. And we have a beracha that, that uh, supports this. Um, and uh, sure enough, regarding the immersion in the mikveh, in those cases, not in all cases, right, a person uh, dunks first and then says the beracha al it makes sense they should say alatavila, which is the language that can mean coming or something that was already done in the past. Okay, good. So now we uh, just a little bit more to go. And leor uh, haner, you know, the, the Mishnah had what seven words? Or le albaasar botkinta hames leor haner. We're already in daf zayin, right? Six dapim, seven dapim already, just on the first seven words. Okay, and we're not done yet. Why, why do we use the, lamp, uh, the, uh, the light of a lamp? What's the source? Okay, we have a five uh, a chain link. Uh, we're going to link each of these words together. It sounds a lot more complicated than it needs to be. But it's, not, it's not so difficult to follow. Let's see what, how we're learning this. So chametz cannot be found. That's the word yimaseh in your homes. Regarding the brothers, when uh, Yosef planted the gavia in uh, one of their backpacks, they searched all of the brothers, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And it says the word, and they found it in the youngest. And that same pasuk also says, they searched. So now we get from uh, finding to searching are linked. All right, and so within this pasuk, we have, right, so now we're connecting chametz to the searching here. Now the word chipus itself, this is a pasuk from Sefania. It says at the end of days, Hashem is going to look around in Jerusalem and search for uh, the evildoers. And so, and banerot, how is he going to search? Using lamps. 
So there you go. Searching is done with lamps. And furthermore, you don't have to use a lot of lamps, but even just one. God's light is the soul of a person. In other words, just like you have a room and it's dark, but you have a lamp to make it light, so to a person's body is like a room and their soul is the, is the light uh, by, which, by which Hashem can uh, search a person's deeds. Okay, so you see that this is a lot more complicated than just halakhically necessary. Obviously, there's an agadic portion here also. And the point is that uh, it's simply, it's not just practical. We're using a lamp to make light. Um, if so, we could just use a flashlight, which we do because it also has a practical side. Use a flashlight not to burn down your house. But you should also take a lamp because the lamp has the uh, uh, fire has a symbolic value. So at least for the beginning of the searching, uh, it's good to, to use um, in the kitchen where it's safe. Uh, it's good to use a fire to use a lamp because um, you see that all these connections are saying, like we said in the introductory uh, um, uh, uh, class, that um, is not only looking for chametz, as we're doing it, we should think of chametz symbolically as um, that which is uh, ego, that which is full of hot air um, and fake, and rather you know, get down to basics and be humble like a masa. So as we're searching for the house, we're thinking about searching our own deeds. Um, and that's in fact, the, the rest of it, searching society and Sefanya and Hashem searching the soul of mankind in uh, Mishle. Um, okay, good. Well, and just with uh, this last Baraita that uh, repeats what we just said. This is Lele, by the way, right? You see, this is when it says specifically at night. We quoted this earlier uh, in the name of Shemuel. Here it's in the name of it to be Yishmael. You can see how Shemuel and Yishmael might get mixed up. So we check Leod Haner. There's no proof for the matter um, because after all, it doesn't does not come from a pasuk in the Torah. So if it doesn't come from a pasuk in Torah, you can't say it's you know midoraita, but rather from Nevi'im. And so it's a uh, a hint only. We need a second pasuk to connect uh, finding to searching. And so on. Um, so the same list that we just had before. We're wondering, why do we need the last pasuk? See, the second to last pasuk already said, I already know that you need to use lamps. Why do you need another one from Mishle? Uh, it's obvious not, it's not for, um, it's not for grammatical reasons, but, or le uh, lexicographical reasons, but rather for the, for the symbolic meaning. You might think if I only had the second last pasuk, that why is Hashem using uh, just a lamp to look for evil people in Jerusalem? He wants, because he doesn't want to find them. He wants to be merciful. And he, uh, and he wants to only use, you know, a small lamp to find only the blatantly uh, evildoers that are out in the street, but you're not going to find the, the hidden ones. So maybe God is being merciful by saying, I'm not going to search by daylight, only by a light of a lamp. Um, no, do not think that. They only find the big sins and not the little sins. 
Um, that the spirit of man is, is the lamp of God, that God can see all of our inner uh, uh, thoughts and uh, actions, and therefore there's no getting around that. And so we will we'll end with this uh, beautiful uh, Agadah that, um, that says, you know, really all of these details that we've been, that we've been dealing with, these halachic details are so significant um, because they are important reminders that all of these rituals um, should elevate us to uh, introspection and to uh, and to um, uh, humility. Baruch Adonai Amen.